disclaimer, I'm going to use both passages, but interchangeably and without warning. So <laughs> probably just sit back and relax and it will work out. Um, so Tim explained that we're beginning this sermon series. Tim set the scene last week for this series of us getting to know Jesus a little bit better or in a fresh way or for the first time. And so we're going to begin at the beginning, sort of at the lowest point, really. And that is this evening we're going to look at Jesus as servant. That Jesus as servant. And for us to be able to start with him at this lowest point, we have to understand um, where he has come from. So I'm just going to invite the Holy Spirit because we're going to uh, need our imaginations to do some work, to do something slightly impossible. So um, just pray, Holy Spirit, would you come and just work in our imaginations and enable us to see and to uh, picture Jesus. Um, Are we okay, Peter? Yeah. That's the Holy Spirit stirring and coming. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> so, just, so I want us to, um, to just picture this. From before the beginning of time, already this should be blowing your mind. From before the beginning of time, he was. He existed. He was the Alpha, the beginning, the first word, the word through whom all things um, were created, visible and invisible. He was God in the beginning. He is God. He is eternal light, never dulled or snuffed out, but always a fire. He is pure holiness, love magnificent, joyful glory. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of angels bow down and worship him. He is radiant and he shares in the divine dance of perfect love. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is seated at the right hand of God in the heavenly realms with darkness and the workers of darkness far beneath his feet. He is seated at the banqueting table where God's victory of freedom is perpetually celebrated. This is Jesus we're talking about, the son of God himself. Try to picture the impossibly the scene that is impossible to fix. And by his own free will, he got up from the banqueting table. He stepped down from the glory of heaven, still God, not wanting to exploit his godliness. He emptied himself. That is, he let go of his right and entitlement as God. He took off his robe of glory and tied 
the limiting frame of humanity around himself. He took the form of humankind. He humbled himself to the lowest status of humankind, that is, a slave. It was as though the purity and the magnitude and the power of God's love was uncontainable, that his passion compelled him to humble himself to the lowest of the low, for his love to reach the lowest, darkest, dirtiest places on earth, which, brothers and sisters, I'm sorry to say, is you and me. Compelled by love, Jesus humbled himself to be a servant of the servant, a slave to those in captivity to sin. Not just washing the feet of 12 men one evening. This episode in the upper room that Tom read is both symbolic of the status that Jesus stepped down from, from his glory, but it's also prophetic. It's a prophetic act of what he was about to accomplish on the cross. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He chose to lay down his outer robe, to lay down his life, to wash away the effects of shame and guilt and all the barriers between us and God once and for all. Jesus chose to love his disciples and us to the end, to the uttermost. Nothing is beyond this servant's cleansing grace. It's amazing. And that is a true theme, but it's hard to imagine. The next scene is easy to picture but highly improbable. You may know that I live on Fox Hill, and I want you to imagine that one day I am going about my business at home, and the rabbit is going about hopping around and doing his business, hopefully in the right places, <laughs> and the doorbell rings. And so I go and answer the door, and who is behind me? But Her Majesty the Queen is waiting patiently at my door. Awkward. So I curtsy, obviously, and um, I welcome her in. And I'm frantically thinking, which room in my house is the tidiest and the cleanest I could possibly invite her into? But dear old um, Queenie takes off her, you know, her little twin piece jacket. And she makes a beeline straight for my bathroom. And she goes in and she humbly bows down. And she um, washes my toilet. 
This is a, don't worry, it is clean. <laughs> it's straight out of the packet this morning and it's clean water, Chloe, don't worry. It's probably the lowest of the lowest visual aids. You know that Tim has, Tim, when he, when he preaches, will um, do these very witty, does that compliment you? High tech visual aids, like he did his video last week. It was really good. And whilst Tim has worked very hard on my use of tech over this last year, and I do regularly use this here machine, I've done Penny, and um, to chop the vegetables on. Um, But, I could, but my visual aids are still fairly primitive, very primitive. Um, <laughs> but I just wanted to shock you slightly because it is outrageous. It is, it is preposterous that Her Majesty the Queen would come into my house. I mean, no, she wouldn't even clean her own toilets. I mean, she certainly wouldn't come into my house to clean the toilet. But that is nothing. That is absolutely nothing compared to what we know Jesus has done. He has come from far greater glory to do a far dirtier work, a more lowly work. It's like we need sort of paradoxical superlatives to describe Jesus. We need the highest words to describe the lowest. Jesus is the most supreme of the servants, the most glorious of the slaves and the humblest Lord, but that's taking us on to next week. He really is humble to go from that level of glory to lay down his life to serve so sacrificially. So it's ironic that the accusation that led to Jesus's execution was not of excessive humility, he wasn't accused, oh, you're too humble and you're embarrassing us, and so we're going to crucify you. He was not accused of excessive humility, but of arrogance. It's ironic. Jesus was accused of being of arrogant, of making claims that he was God's son, of being God himself. They condemned God for being, for saying that he was God. And it didn't make sense to them, you see. God is too high and too holy and mighty and glorious to be a human being, let alone a servant of human beings. Jesus didn't fit their expectation, their mold of being the Son of God, the Messiah. These people, these people condemning Jesus had a fixed view of what the Messiah should look like, and Jesus did not fit that mold. Humility and arrogance can easily get mixed up, which sounds silly, doesn't it? Because they're opposite. But I think we've all got them mixed up in our lives, and we need to be able to understand the difference to truly encounter Jesus as servant. To be servant, to be humble, is not about thinking less of oneself. 
And yet we often hear people, Christians included, saying, um, oh, oh, she's so good at such and such, and I'm rubbish. And, um, you know, you're, you're just so clever, but I'm not. And, and this sort of putting down as a way of building others up, people will speak less of themselves. Oh, this old thing? Oh, nothing. Or the one that really gets me and amuses me is when a Christian has, has done something quite good and you compliment them on their efforts and they'll say, oh, it wasn't me, it was all God. Uh, <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, well, if it really was all God, it would be infinitely better than that. But they think they're being humble when people do this putting themselves down. But it's not humility. It's actually arrogance dressed up as humility. It's false humility, pride or fear or lack of self-worth. But it's not humility. You won't ever hear Jesus saying any of those things. Can you even imagine any of them? That, oh, I, you know, I'm, you know, this diminishing of himself in a, in a derogatory. To be humble requires a deep assurance of your authority, of your identity, and of your person. And when you're secure in that, then you can do the lowliest of things or whatever, but you don't have to um, do this false turning things upside down or this false protest because you're secure. Humility is not thinking less of oneself. Humility is thinking of oneself less. You get the difference. Humility is not about thinking less of oneself and thinking you're, you're rubbish and worse than everybody else. Humility is about thinking of yourself less. Humility bows low to lift the other up. It prefers the other. Listening to the other before offering opinion or your solution or your experience. And this is Jesus, the humble servant. And how do we know that Jesus has a deep assurance of his authority, his identity, and his purpose? The Bible tells us that. In the Gospel reading, it says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that is, all authority from love, and that he had come from God, Jesus knows his identity, his heritage. He knows who his father is and was going to God. Jesus knew God's plans and purposes for him. He knew the call on his life. Jesus, knowing that the father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, got up from the table, took off his outer robe, tied a towel around him, and tied a towel around. He started from a deep assurance of his authority, his identity, 
and his purpose. He knew what he was, who he was, and why he was. Jesus knew he was God. He knew he was loved perfectly and completely by his Father. He knew he was without fault. He knew where he was going. And because of this deep anchoring, this deep assurance, he was free to humble himself completely from a motive of love, not from a false humility or desperately trying to earn some love and appreciation. Jesus was able to demonstrate pure humility, fulfilling the role of a servant, which was usually, in this sort of situation, was usually a Gentile servant worth was usually a woman. And he was prepared to lower himself to that level. Ultimately, he humbled himself to the extent that his authority was surrendered. His identity was contradicted and his purpose ridiculed. But he did not need to defend himself in front of Pilate because his deep assurance of his authority and his identity and his purpose. And it's this humble servanthood that reveals the extraordinary, outrageous, limitless measure of God's love of his passion. It is in humbly serving that Jesus reveals God's heart for you and me. We all know that love is like that. When somebody we love is poorly, we will willingly do the most menial of tasks. We'll feed them, we'll clothe them, we'll their bum need. Serving is love demonstrated, love in action. Jesus is love. Jesus is a servant. He can serve because he knows what it is to be loved. He knows intimacy with Father God. He knows the transformative glory Jesus, our servant, youth, as he demonstrates love in us. He's so beautiful. I really love him. Just the way that he serves, offers himself so freely, demonstrates. And the purpose series, the purpose of this sermon series is to help us all to love, to reveal Jesus and approach him from different perspectives, so that we can all fall in love with him afresh. It's unashamedly all about Jesus. This is not a moralistic sermon series. The aim is not to give a set of be more like Jesus in eight easy steps. By all means, take some moral lessons from it. Humble yourselves and imitate Jesus as a servant to others. 
it's a crucial part of being a follower of Jesus. In fact, you're not really following Jesus if you do not love him and imitate him. He says that we love him if we do as he commands. Love God with everything and love your neighbor as yourself. Having washed the feet of his disciples, he commands, go and do likewise. It is in serving others that you are loving Jesus. So humble yourself by all means and serve like Jesus served. Just go and do it. But that's not the primary call of this sermon. First, humble yourselves and let Jesus be your servant. I can remember the first time I really heard this in my heart, and it made me squirm. I'm comfortable with the idea of worshipping and praising and obeying God, but I emphasize with Peter's reaction the outrage at the inappropriateness of Jesus bowing low to serve me, especially after the dark thoughts and sins that I've committed in my life. It made me squirm. He seemed so wrong. I could acknowledge my need for him to die for me on the cross, to set me free from what would have separated me from God. But now he's been raised to glory and surely his serving is finished. But apparently not. Jesus, because serving is an outworking of love and Jesus is love, he will be perpetually serving. He is always a servant. He cannot change his identity just because he's ascended into heaven. Jesus is still Jesus. Jesus is still serving. And Jesus said to Peter, unless I wash you, you are not in fellowship with me. To keep on having fellowship with Jesus, we need to keep on allowing him to serve us. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. That was his purpose. Owing from his identity of love, his passionate, unconditional love compelled him to leave his glory to empty himself and become a servant our slave. To deny Jesus as your servant is pride or fear, and it pushes away his identity, his person. So allow Jesus to be Jesus in your life. Jesus says, and this was the like if there's one thing you hear then this is the one thing he really, really wants you to hear. Jesus says, I love you, so I serve you. I love you, so I serve you. Let him love you. Let him serve you. It takes humility to allow someone we consider our superior and best to bow down and serve. So that's what Jesus is longing to do, who he is. And that's the primary call of this.
in a couple of weeks, um, I'm preaching on Jesus, our bridegroom. And as I was preparing this sermon, I thought really there's very little difference between Jesus, our servant, and Jesus, our bridegroom. They're two sides of the same coin. Let him serve you. Let him love you. Let him present you to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. How does Jesus serve you and me today? Probably got things ready. His work on the cross is key. Yes, always. By laying down his life so that when we believe, we don't face God's judgment for our error. He has washed our souls clean from the stain of sin. No more guilt or shame. But Jesus serves you and me every moment of each day as well as he intercedes for the Father. The enemy will come against us and accuse us to the Father and say bad things. And Jesus will be there presenting the case of his children who have been washed and are pure and holy. Jesus is constant, right even this moment, interceding for each of you and me. Jesus is the living word of God. And so when we invite him to serve us, he speaks truth uh, and life through scripture and through his spirit. This is our sword in the battle, our comfort and our encouragement. We don't do our own fighting. It is Jesus' mighty name and his word that serves us by fighting on our behalf when we invite him. He serves us by healing, even today. I've seen some extraordinary and beautiful healing and people released from captivity when Jesus has been invited into the dark places of their life to bring light and restoration. The list could go on for how Jesus served. But the point is Jesus came to serve. He continues to serve and will always be our servant. Even in the new heavens and the new earth, when the enemy has no role to play, Jesus will continue to serve because that is his identity, his servant. He is a servant. He is the outwork, the action of love, and he cannot change his identity. So even in the new heavens and the new earth, Jesus will be our servant. So when Jesus looks us in the eye and asks, who do you say that I am? Can you say, Jesus, you are my friend.